morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And uh, we are continuing our series on uh, God's design for the family. We've addressed kind of his overall plan and spoken to the husbands and then to the wives and then to the children. And now we're going to get back to parents and training your children. You know, if somebody were to ask you, what, what is the biggest problem in the world today? You know, other than people rejecting Christ, what would your answer be? You know, is it a corrupt government? Uh, you know, it's the schools not doing their their job, uh, drugs and alcohol, the media. You know, what what is the problem? Well, I would propose to you that the great crisis of our day is that parents are abdicating in many cases or doing a very poor job at training their children. Most parents are failing to raise their children to be honest, hardworking, selfless, law-abiding citizens. And instead, they are not raising their children. And so by default, their default position is to be dishonest and lazy and selfish and rebellious citizens. And when you listen to the news and you read the paper, parents are just having a fit about their children. We've got to do something. You know, the, the, the media is corrupting our children. You know, the reason, you know, my child shot up the classroom is, is they watched a bad show on TV. Well, who let them watch that show? Well, what you don't understand is, is when they go to school, they're not, they're not training them to, to be honest and moral. No, that happens at home. That is to happen at home. And it's always the school's fault. It's the media's fault. It's guns. It's drugs. It's always somebody else's fault. That kind of reminds you of the serpent deceived me. It was that woman you gave me. You never hear any parents crying out in anger and rage. I've been a lousy parent. I haven't raised my child like I was supposed to. And now they're out of control and it's my fault. You don't hear them say that, but it is their fault in most cases. Now, why is it that, you know, somebody has a dog and that dog has a litter of 10 puppies and they sell those puppies and two of them turn out to be great, obedient dogs who come when they're supposed to heal when you're walking, sit um, when they go fetch the paper. You know, the two of them are just great. The other eight, you know, jump up on you and chew up shoes and chase after the cat and don't come when they're told and won't retrieve the ball. They just take it. Why is that? Well, it's because two of the dogs have been trained by their master. That's why. The two people know how to train dogs. They train their dogs and their dogs turn out to be great dogs. They don't bark all night. They don't bite people. They've been trained. They've been trained. And parenting is not much different. Some parents know how to train their children and they do so. Other ones don't know how. And so their children become out of control, out of control. Sadly, most parents don't wake up to the importance of parenting until it's too late. 
until it's way too late. You know, when their children are young and they're just so cute and so cherub-like, you know, how could they ever say no to such a little pudgy-cheeked wonder? And so they neglect parenting and they neglect it and neglect it. And then when they get teenagers, then I'll deal with them. And what they don't realize is that 90% of parenting happens between the ages of one to five or six. 90%. You lose that window, you lose the child. Apart from miraculous intervention of God. Ann Ortland wrote a good book, not a good book, but a book with a good title. It's not a real good book, but the title's great. (laughs) Children are wet cement. And that is exactly the truth. I've poured a lot of concrete and I can tell you children are like wet cement. You know, the cement truck pulls up to the house. You know, you're going to pour some concrete and it comes out of the chute and it's soft and it's pliable and you can screed it and finish it and smooth it out and no problem. You know, after an hour or so, it starts getting hard. You wait about three hours, it starts getting really hard. After about six hours, the only way you can even affect it is to, you know, get something metal object and scratch it. And by the next day, the only way you can move it around is with a jackhammer and a backhoe. And that's how it is with parenting. When they come out of the chute, they're soft. They're soft. They're easily moldable. You can teach them things. You can teach them right and wrong. Their brains just absorb all sorts of truths and error and everything easy. And that is the time to get on them. When they're young, when they're trainable, when you can work before they get to be, you know, five or six years old, you've got to get on them. And then by the time they're teenagers, it's jackhammer and backhoe time. And a lot of times that doesn't even work. You know, if I paid somebody to pour a concrete driveway at my house and they came and the truck pulled up and they unloaded all the concrete and then said, we'll be back in two weeks to finish it. It would look extremely ugly. But would I blame the concrete company? No. The problem is with the finishers. And as parents, you are responsible to finish your children. You are responsible to make them into what they need to be. I have people, you know, come up and say things like, oh, you know, you're so lucky. You know, you've got, you know, obedient children. No, I'm not. And luck has nothing to do with it. It took a lot of effort, constant, relentless effort to make them that way. Just like finishing concrete. Oh, well, you're lucky when the truck came up to your house and poured it out smooth. <laughs> and no. Somebody's bent over with a trowel doing a lot of hard labor to make it smooth. And if they, they don't do that, it, it's lumpy. It's ugly. And if you don't spend a lot of time working on your children, they get lumpy and ugly. Proverbs 19:18 says, "Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death." When is there hope? When they're young. 
Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the contrast is this. When they're young, get them trained because when they get old, it's over. They'll go in whatever way you made them when they're young. Now, I want to make a few comments here. Some of you have not raised your children according to the Bible and they've grown up and you've lost the window of opportunity. And I am not here to lay some big guilt trip on you. So you go crawling home because you can't reverse the past. You can't reverse the past. It's over now. Pray, 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 pray that God's grace will save them and transform them. The rest of you who have children or who will have children, you are the primary ones that I want to address this morning. Secondarily, if you are a grandparent, if you want to give biblical advice to a parent, if you want to pray for parents, if you want to stand up for the truth of God's word in a world that has rejected biblical parenting, then this secondarily applies to you. But I want to address you who are either parents or you who are going to be. It's common for most people today to come from broken families. You know, I, you rarely talk to somebody. So what was your family? Like, Oh, I have two bad mom and dad and they both love the Lord, man. They just, they just are so faithful. I would get up. They'd see him reading their Bibles every single day. They served the ministry. They gave the church. They sacrificed vacations. They just did. It just, they loved the Lord so much and they led us to the Lord and trained us up. And we love the Lord too, man. I love my family. That's almost fiction today. I mean, does that ever happen? Not very often. And it's a parenting problem. It's a parenting problem. Don't think that children are a byproduct of accident. Children become what they become on purpose. They are either purposely made one way, or if left unparented, they become what their carnal hearts tell them they should be, which is selfish little monsters, and then they become big monsters. Satan has lured women away from the home, and in many cases, the husbands have encouraged it. And they have allowed other people to raise their children. During the day, they are trained trained by strangers in daycare during their most formidable years. Then at night, they're trained by the television. And then the parent later on wonders why their child has no morals, doesn't obey, is dishonest, steals, lies, sneaks out at night. Hello? You let somebody else raise them. You let the TV raise them, the media raise them. Oh, that is a scary thought. And yet that's what most people do. It's very convenient to take your child, sit them down in front of the TV, turn it on. I mean, if I had a TV at my house and I turned it on, this is what my kids would do. <laughs> they would just stand there. Their eyes pop open, pop out, their mouths pop open, and they're just catatonic. They're paralyzed. It's like Lot's wife, frozen. <laughs> and you know, if you put your child in front of the TV to educate them, the TV will educate them. And what do you see on TV? A bunch of bratty, sassy, disobedient, disrespectful children sassing back to their parents or a bunch of oofs. 
And any ethics and morals they might learn in the earlier years at daycare, they don't come from God and they don't come from the word of God. They come from a humanistic worldview that says, you know, there are no absolutes except for the absolute that there are no absolutes. And that we need to tolerate all sorts of religions and all sorts of behavior and all sorts of sin. We need to tolerate everything but biblical Christianity. We can't tolerate that. But thankfully, as we might expect, God gives us crystal clear instructions about how to train children in his word in many places. And the text that we are looking at this morning is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, make sure you're there. We're going to look first at verses 1 through 9, read those, and then we're going to examine in more detail verses 4 through 9. Now let me just give you a little bit of background here before we leap into the text. Moses wrote... The first five books of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy means second law. And it's not a new law. It's not like, you know, here we have the first law and then we'll give you a whole different law. That's not what it is. Some of the law was given in in Exodus and then more in Leviticus and then more in the first 10 chapters of Numbers. Israel, because they failed to enter the promised land, had to wander around because of the judgment of God for 40 years in the wilderness after the at the end of those 40 years, they're going to enter in to the land of promise being led by Joshua. Moses will not enter. He is going to die. And God has told him that. So Moses sits down and he takes the law from Exodus, Leviticus and numbers, combines it all together and makes a practical how to love God manual. For the people so that when they enter into the land, they know how to love God by keeping his word. And so it's not really a new law. It's just the law that was already given, organized and practically applied to the life that they will be living in their new promised land. So follow along as I read Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now, this is the commandment the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you. And that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, as we come to this text, I want to show you three foundational, important principles for all parents who want to train their children. And before we look at verses four through nine, I want to ask you a question because this is significant. 
Let's just say you were Moses. You've written the first, first four books of the Bible. You're old. You're wise. And the two million plus people that are with you now who have been camping in the wilderness for 40 years are now getting ready to go on a military conquest of the promised land to conquer, drive out or destroy the inhabitants to take possession of the land promised to Abraham before. Now, if you were going to do that, what would be the first thing you would try to teach your people? I mean, when I think about that, I, you know, I want them to know military strategy, how to build and use weapons, how to first aid for wounded soldiers, things like that. But is that what Moses writes on? No, the first four chapters of Deuteronomy, he just is all a historical synopsis. In chapter five, he restates the Ten Commandments. Then in chapter six, he begins starting in our text to explain the most important thing that they are to do. And the first subject mentioned after loving God is parenting, parenting. And people, this is huge. It tells us that God puts a very, very, very high standard on parents. That the great priority is parenting. And it's pretty gruesomely ironic and grotesquely revealing that our society, in many cases, the church puts very little priority on parenting. Most professing Christians would lay down their life for their children, but they won't give up their house, a new car, their career, which is odd. And it must be asked, do we really love those things we neglect? Do we really love those things we neglect? I mean, is something a high priority in our life if we give low priority attention to it? Well, of course not. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at verse four. Verse four is just nothing more than the front porch to our text. This isn't even a point. This is just something to lead up to the parenting part. Verse four, look there. Moses writes, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And now if you've been around a while or if you've have a Jewish background or no Jewish people, or maybe you've been to Israel, you might know that this verse is probably one of the all time most favorite verses, most quoted verses more than John three sixteen in all the Bible. It is called the Shema, the Hebrew word for hear, which means to listen so as to obey. So in the Hebrew, it is Shema hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And it first tells us that we are to listen and so as to obey that we have a God and he is the Lord God. And that he is one God. He is the one true God. Those two truths are stated right there in the text. It is the beginning of all of our understanding, you must realize as a parent, you are under the authority of the one Lord God. You have to get there. And it has practical out 
workings. I mean, if you are a parent, who's going to be your authority? Who's going to tell you how to parent? Your neighbor? Your mom? Dr. Spock? Who? I said that in the first service and no one knew who Spock was. He writes a book on parenting. Of course, he never had any children, but yeah, um, <laughs> they were going to pay him enough money. So he did it. Yeah. Why? Why? Where do we go? Why do we do what we do in parenting? Who's where's the standard? Where do we find the standard? Who tells us what's right and wrong in our parenting? You see, this is why you need to understand this verse, because this verse tells us who is God, who is the creator, who owns us and who tells us how to raise our children. You don't get to raise your children like you want, and I get to raise them like I want. If you're a Christian, you realize that? You don't get to say, well, I'll raise my children my own way and, you know, and you raise them your own way. No, we if we know the Lord, we raise them God's way because that's the only way. God is the one who gets to tell us how to raise our children. So with that in mind, let's look at our first point, because now Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins to tell us how God says we are to raise our children. As he addresses at the very beginning of the section dealing with the retelling of the law, what we are to do. Look at verse five. You shall love the Lord your God. The first point is this. Parents, make sure you love God yourself. Make sure you love God yourself. All the rest of the book from this point on explains how we are to love God. You remember when Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, what is the great commandment? You remember what he said? What? This verse. He quoted this verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second commandment is like the, the first, love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment, the all-encompassing commandment is to love God. How? By keeping his commandments, right? That's how you love God. There's no other way to show love to God except to keep his commandments, right? I mean, you can't show love to God by rebelling against him. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. That's why John writes in first John, if we love him, we will what? Keep his commandments. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If we what? Keep his commandments. Yeah. And so when we look at this text, we see that the driving motivation, though, is love for God. You don't keep the commandments so you love God. You love God and you demonstrate love for God by keeping his commandments. And so the book starts out with, listen, here is God. He is the Lord God and he is one God and you parents need to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, when you look at the Hebrew and you find out, look up the word heart, you discover, you discover that the heart is everything that you are that isn't physical. It's your thoughts and your emotions and your intentions and your volitions and all of that. You are to love God with all your heart and with all your mind. Those are synonyms often used together. And then your strength is everything, all the physical effort you might put forth. In other words, 
if anything that you that isn't physical or spiritual, that part doesn't have to love God, which is nothing. God is asking you here to love him with an all consuming love, a love that is your heart, your mind, your whole soul with that word being your whole being, which describes everything you are to love God, love him. And you show love to God by keeping his commandments. This is the first great principle of parenting. If you're a parent and you haven't learned how to love God in front of your children, you will undo with your life everything you try to teach them. You know, it's true. How often have you come to somebody and said, you know, uh, why don't you come to church? And what do they say? Oh, you know, those those Christians, they're all. I mean, they grew up in families where their parents sat there and they sat next to their parents and they heard the preacher tell their tell them God says you need to study your Bible. And then they saw their parents go home and not study their Bible. They heard the preacher say, hey, God says you need to do this. And they went home and did that. And see, their whole life, they see their parents being taught one thing and professing to believe in that one thing and yet going home and doing another thing. And then they come to this very easy conclusion. Christianity is a farce. It's a hoax. It's a crotch. This church is full of nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And I saw it lived out of my parents' life that way. And while your lips profess one thing, your life undoes it. And I'm telling you that if you live that way, a hypocritical life as a parent, you will cut the throat of every sermon and drown out every Bible study your children ever go to. By your actions, you will be screaming at them. I don't love God and I am not going to let God have dominion over my life. And that is why the number one principle of parenting is make sure you as a parent love God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. If you don't do that and you just come to church and pretend to be the Christian for two hours on Sunday every day, they will either become hypocrites just like you or they will totally reject God. And it's very difficult to try and win those people to the Lord because they've been inoculated against Christianity by the hypocrisy of their parents. Make sure your life tells your children that God is more important to you than anything else. That you need to be honest at church and honest at home and honest at work. That you need, you love God's word here and you love God's word there. You love serving people and you love sharing Christ with people. You love doing what God says you need to do. Make sure they see it in your life. Otherwise, you will train them to despise God and the things of God. Secondly, you must train yourself in the word of God. And this is obvious. If you are to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you do that by keeping his commandments, then you need to learn God's commandments. You can't train your children in the commands of God if you don't know the commands of God, right? I mean, that's kind of hard to do. And that's why, if you look at verse 6, it says, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. 
So you need to get God's word on your heart. Now you ask yourself, well, okay, I need to get God's word on my heart. You know, how do you do that? How do you get God's word to control your thoughts, your volitions, your intentions, your emotions and everything you are? How does how do you get God's word, you know, running your life, the real you? Well, it's done by disciplining yourself to engage in a lifelong pursuit of reading and studying and applying the word of God to listen to it preach and listen to it taught and go to discipleship groups. And, you know, some people, you know, have this idea that they can somehow just come to church an hour a week and get all they need to know about God. You know, this is kind of my God part of my week. I'm going to come get my little, you know, Bible shot in the arm or the punch in the face or whatever it is. And, you know, then I'm going to go away and the next week I'll come back and, you know, get the other sock and the other jab and the other go get them. Why don't you try this? Try not eating for a week. Yeah, just let's just say that today after church, you can have lunch and then don't have another meal until next week after church. I I just want to see what you look like. There's are all wilted there, starving, pining away. Some of you might not make it till next week. You might die. And that's exactly what happens when 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 you don't have the word of God constantly coming into your life. (laughs) You're in bad shape spiritually. That's why it says you are to let the word of God constantly dwell within you to be constantly nourished up on the words of the faith to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly. If you don't do that, then it's doubtful you're ever going to be able to impart that into your children. And some people, they say, well, you know, I, you know, I just, you know, I just, I just, I just don't have the resources. Oh, I don't have a Bible. Well, then reach into the pew in front of you. You can have it. So we put them there. And if you want more, go out to the visitor center. If you want more, call the office. We'll get you one for your bed and one for your car. I mean, there's not an excuse. We have Christian radio today. You can get Christian music today. We have a bookstore. We have sermons online. We have Bible studies and discipleship groups and all kinds of ministries. And they're all there to train you up in the word of God. And all you need to do is take the effort. But I'll tell you this. You don't take the effort. You'll never grow in your knowledge and obedience of God's word. It's hard work and you have to do it if you want to get there. There's no easy way. You have to seek for it as silver and search for it as hidden gold. Meditate on Proverbs chapter 2 sometime and see the effort in those first eight verses of what it takes to get God's word in your heart. Now, before we proceed, I just want to say this one thing. Many professing Christians have no desire to study God's word. And that's always an anomaly to me. You got somebody, well, you know, I just, uh, when I just read the Bible, it just doesn't do anything for me. I mean, it's kind of boring and it's all technical and I don't even know what's happening. I tried reading through the Bible one time and I made it through Genesis and through Exodus. Man, I have Leviticus. Is, well, don't read Leviticus. Some people say, well, yeah, I just can't, you know, I just, I just don't have a desire. I just, I just don't, I just read it. It's just like sawdust and nothing happens well if that's the you i would i would encourage you to examine your life and ask yourself this do you really know god i know what you're saying of course i'm a christian 
Oh, come, come now. If you have been around any new Christians, there's one thing you know about Christians. New Christians who just come to the Lord. You all know what it's like. They all, we hear their testimonies when they're being baptized. And what is their testimony? I cannot get enough of the word of God. I read the word of God. I just sat up all night and day after day. I says, all I could do is just study and know the word of God. That people happens when God's grace invades somebody's life, transforms them and causes them to be born again. They are changed into new word hungering creatures. And they long for the word, just like newborn babies long for the pure milk of their mother. And if you've never experienced that and you've just kind of grown up in the church and, you know, maybe you went forward and maybe whatever, prayed a prayer and somebody told you were saved. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. If you if you just don't have a desire to know God and know God's word, I'm telling you something's wrong. You're either not saved and you need to get to the place where you realize you're a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You need to repent and believe that Jesus, by his shed blood, can save you and get saved and be transformed. And I'm telling you, tomorrow morning, you'll want to read your Bible. Or there's some sin in your life. And. I don't know what sin it is, but I know you do. And right now your conscience is telling you what it is. And because you won't leave that, you won't grow. Whatever the case may be, you need to get right with God. You're either a Christian living in sin, you won't have a desire for the word. Or if you don't know Christ, you've never come to repent. You've, you've just kind of been this social Christian pretending to be a Christian. Maybe you're convinced you were a Christian, but you realize now that you're not. There's never been a better time when you've really come to the Lord and said, you know, I, I don't care what it takes, Lord. You change me and I want to follow you all of my life. I want to serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want you to have control of my finances. I want you to have control of my job, my tongue, what I look at, what I listen to, everything. Just invade my life and make me new. And if you haven't come to that place, you need to. Because if you don't, you're not a Christian. All or nothing. All or nothing with the Lord. And if you know there's a sin in your life and that sin is keeping you from growing, then what you need to do is you need to confess that to God. And thank God that Christ died to save you from that sin and that you have the forgiveness you need and the grace you need to live a life that is pleasing to him. Get some help. Find a godly, mature Christian friend. Call the office. Do something. Get some help. Get over your sin. Have somebody else help you get entangled. God's grace is sufficient. He can help you. Okay, so you know that you need, you know who God is. You know he's your God. You know he's the one who needs to tell you how to parent your children. Then you realize, you know, before I start training my children in how to love God, I need to love God. And so you start getting into the word. You start growing in your knowledge of the scriptures. You're growing in in your knowledge and understanding. And and the scriptures starting to invade your life. You think about the Bible. Everything in your life is strained through a biblical filter. Do you you experience that? I mean, that's my whole life. I can't even think anymore without it. Every single thing that happens is always going through the Bible. Well, the Bible says this about that. And the Bible says that about that. And I wonder about this. You need to get to that place where your whole life is being invaded by the word of God. It dwells within you richly. Then 
You're ready to start doing it. What? Training your children. This is the third point. In verses 7 through 9, you must train your children to know God's word. Follow along as I read verses 7 through 9. And you shall teach them, that is the truths of God's word, diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your gates, uh, your house uh, and on your gates. And you ask yourself, well, so... What is the first thing I'm supposed to do here? Teach. Look at verse 7. Teach them diligently. You are to teach them diligently. And this word teach is an intensive active verb, which means to really get on it. And it means you are to always be on it. You, You don't get to have vacation as a parent until you get them out of the house. Then you're, you fall, go on the cruise. And celebrate. Then grandchildren start coming back and you've got it again. And this is a very interesting word in the Hebrew. It was used of sharpening knives. Knives are taken. And if you want to sharpen a knife, you know, you got a little porcelain sticks or you got a sharpening stone. And what you do is you take that knife and you press it against something else. You press it against the stone, rub it against the sticks, whatever. But the friction sharpens the knife. Same word is used here. You need to impress God's word upon your children to sharpen them in godly character and conduct. And just like, you know, you could imagine yourself Thanksgiving's coming up and you want a nice sharp knife to carve the turkey. And so you get out there and then how do you sharpen that knife? You pull it out, get out your sharpening device and you do one stroke and go, there we go. Is that how you do it? That's not how I do it. I go over and over and over and over. And I keep checking. I go over and over and keep checking until it's really sharp. Then I warn my wife so she doesn't cut herself. And that's how it is with children. You keep impressing God's word into them over and over and over. And then you check over and over and over. And then you check over and over and over until you check. Until you find out that they know it and they know how to obey it. And they are obeying it. And it takes a long time. A long time to train them. And this, of course, command is to parents. It's not to the Sunday school teacher. It's not to the youth pastor. It's to parents. Parents must train their own children. Now, it doesn't mean they can't receive help from some other people that, you know, they their children are not to come to church because they might learn something. Or they shouldn't go to youth group because they might learn something. No, but it's the parents responsibility to make sure they're getting godly input and they are being trained. They can do it. They can have other people help them do it. But the point is, is it must be done. They must have God's word impressed to their life. Not only that, if you look in verse seven, we see another technique here. Not only should they teach them diligently, but they should also talk of them. Which tells us what? It tells us that they are, you are to give your children verbal instruction. Talk of them. You know, when you're taking them to school, you talk to them about the Bible. When you're at the mall and you're, you see things and you see people, you say, you know, the Bible says not to look at this. And the Bible says not to go over ramp on this. And, you know, we can't afford this. And we need to be careful with our money because the Bible says this. And, you know, when you're sitting at the table, you talk about God's word. When you're talking, you talk about God's word. How do you go to school? You talk about God's word. When you're doing homework and they have a grumpy attitude, you talk about God's word. 
When you have the discipline, you talk about God's word. In other words, you talk about God's word all the time. That's when you do it. When? Well, look, when are you supposed to talk? Oh, only when you're in your house, sitting in your house, only when you're walking by the way, only when you're lying down and only when you're rising up. Any other time you don't have to. That's pretty comprehensive. And you know what that means in the Hebrew? All the time. All the time. It's an idiom for all the time. Train them all the time. You know, you don't say, well, you know, on Thursday evenings, we sit down and have our family devotions. Hey, listen, you see, you know, your son, you know, uh, being grumpy to your daughter. You say, eh, time out. What does the Bible say about that? I don't know. Well, let me tell you. You tell them. Then you say, you know what the Bible says you need to do when you do what you just did? Let me tell you. And you make them apologize. And then as parents, you might have to say, you know what the Bible says I need to do now? Come here. But you need to train all the time. Yeah, you won't be laughing later. And one of the ways you do that is by always keeping God's word before them. As you go around, as you're talking, you're constantly trying to say, well, what do you think we should do here? What do you think God uh, would want us to do here? And you're constantly trying to bring them under the authority of God so they understand. And that's the phrase. If you look in verse eight and you shall bind them as sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You know, the Jews took this literally and actually put little phylacteries and, you know, little wrote God's word on little straps and wrapped it around their arms. That's not what it's talking about. Your hands are what you do most of your things with. Your, the frontals is before your eyes. In other words, in everything you do, in everything you see, in everything that goes into you, and in everything that comes out of you, make sure God's word is informing all of that behavior. Make sure it's informing all of that as frontals on your forehead or literally right between your eyes. The King James has it. You need to sharpen your children. Third, if you look in verse nine, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What does this mean? Well, the doorposts of your house, if you if you uh, go in a Jewish neighborhood or maybe you go to Israel or something, you'll you'll see that they a lot of times they have these things. I think they I think they're called uh, Azusas or mezuzas, not Azusa, mezuzas, I think Um, they're little um, the little metal devices with a clear, you know, a glass tube and they take. This portion of scripture, Deuteronomy 6 and sometimes other portions, and they have a scribe and it has to be a scribe, hand write them out, it has to be handwritten and a lot of times on parchment because, you know, that's how they used to do it. And they would write it all out, roll it up and they'd stick it in there and cap it off. And so every time you go into your house, you're thinking, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And every time they go in the house and every time they come out of the house, they see that to remind them that God's word is to have prominence in every area of their life, both inside and outside their house. The gates refer to the place where they would enter in and out of the city. And so whether you're in your house or outside the house, whether you're in the city or whether you're outside of the city, make sure God's word is controlling all that you do in business in play in every sphere of your life. So you want to know how to train your children all the time, every place, let God's word be demonstrated in your life. 
and let it be constantly instructing them by what you say and what you do, both inside and outside your house, inside and outside your city. And if you do that, then you'll have a good chance. You'll be training your children in a way that brings glory to God. Now, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking to yourself, Jack, this is this seems hard. I don't even know how to start. Let me just give you seven practical steps. And we're going to try and develop some of these uh, when we get back to the series in a couple weeks. But I just want to give you seven practical steps that you can take away. Just things that you might want to just stop and consider as a parent or a parent to be. First, if you don't know Christ, you need to repent and become a Christian. Believe in the gospel that Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, that he took your sins upon himself, and that he is willing, if you place your faith and trust in him, to give to you his righteousness. He'll take your sins, he'll give you his righteousness. It's a good deal. He'll change you, he'll transform you, he'll give you the desires that he wishes to have by placing those in. He'll give you the Holy Spirit and he'll make you into a new creature. So if you haven't done that, you got to do it as a parent because you'll never be able to lead your child in loving God if you don't know God. Secondly, get trained in the word of God. You know, right now, if I were to ask you, what time do you read your Bible? Do you have a time? If you're out there, well, I, I don't know. Well, then that means you probably don't read your Bible very much, do you, if ever? Now, if I asked you, when do you eat dinner? Well, 530. And do you eat dinner? Yes. I mean, I have a time. I know that every day, it may not be at the exact same time, but every day around this time, I eat dinner. And you need to ask yourself, what is that time that you read your Bible? If you don't have that time, that's where you start. Get involved in a Bible study. Listen to tapes. Listen to some good music. Read good books. Get God's word in your heart. Three, have specific concrete goals for your parenting. You know, I talk to parents and they say, well, yeah, you know, my child is this. So I say, well, what are your goals? What? Your goals, your parenting goals. I don't know. Well, that's what you're achieving then. Nothing. If you don't have a goal, you're not, you're never going to reach a goal. You need to ask yourself, what is the goal of my parenting? You've got to have that. Here's some goals, which is really the fourth point. Strive for your child's salvation. Your child needs to come to know the Lord. And don't, don't go manipulating your child. You know, if this whole place was filled full of, you know, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, I could say this. How many people want to burn in hell forever? Raise your hand. No one would raise their hand. Now, if I said, how many people would like to go to heaven and be with Jesus? They'd all raise their hand. Say, how many people would like to pray the sinner's prayer with me? Okay. So I pray the sinner's prayer. Now, are they all saved? No. And if you tell them they are, then you deceive them and delude them. Now, there just might be a couple children who might have actually become saved. But what parents often do is they often... Lead, force their child to a place to have some emotional response or something. Then they tell them, oh, we know you're saved. You're saved. You're saved. You're saved. Then the child grows up thinking they're saved, but they have no love for God, no love for God's word, no love for God's people. They never grow. And as soon as they leave home, they go apostate. 
They reveal what they really are. No, what you need to do is you need to constantly share the gospel with your child. When, when they, when they blow it, you know, and you're talking to them and you say, you know what, what you did, that was sin. But you know, what's neat about that is that's why Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And if you are willing to turn from your sin and to fall after Christ, if you're willing to believe and you share the gospel over and over and over a million times with your kids. And then after you've done it a million times, you do it two million until they know the gospel inside and out. Now, you can't save them, but that's what does save them. That the gospel is the power of God for all who believe. And so you work the gospel into everything you possibly can. You quiz them. My kids, they always know. We start driving and say, oh, no, dad's going to quiz us again. Okay, what's repentance? Okay, tell me what sanctification is. Okay, tell me what, you know, hey. Their blood's not going to be on my head. I'm going to ask them. So strive for your child's salvation. Five, work to help your child grow in sanctification. After they get saved or you think they're saved, try and get them to develop godly habits of Bible reading at a certain time. Serving in the church. Giving when they make, you know, little bits of money. Try and teach them to do all the things that Christians have to do. Help them to be that way. Six, make sure, and this is probably one of the most critical ones that parents miss. Make sure that as your child gets older, they understand that God is the authority over you and them. You see, if you have a child in your house and you're telling them what to do all the time, do this, don't that, clean your room, take out the trash, don't, stop, come, here, here, okay? And you might be able to, through discipline and instruction and admonition and correction, get them to always do what you say. But see, you that's fine when they're little, but as they grow older, you need to let them know that really, <laughs> somebody's telling you what to do, and you're just doing what God's telling you to do to them. And that God is the one they need to live for, not you. Now, the reason you need to do this is if your children leave home and they think that you are the authority, what will happen is, is when they leave the home, they will be out from authority. And that is why, and I'm telling you, 80, 85% of all the children in this church will go apostate. When they leave the high school group and go into college. It happens in every single church. Why? Because the parents go, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And so the child is under the burden, the authority of the parent. They get out from the authority. They do what they want. But I'll tell you this. You tell your child, listen, this is what God says. This is what God says. He's everywhere. God says this. God's looking. God's watching. And when you when you go out, God's God, 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 God. Then when they leave home, who's still there? God. He never leaves, see? Now, as a parent, here it is. Your goal is to wean your children off of you onto the Lord. So that by the time they leave home, they're making all of their decisions based upon what God would have them do according to his word. Wean them off of you and onto the Lord. Don't do this reverse parenting thing where you let them do what they want when they're little. And then as they get older and more rebellious, you try and get more and more control over them. And pretty soon when they're leaving the house, you're smothering them. They're just going to bolt as soon as they get free. Make sure they're living under God's authority when they leave home.
And that doesn't happen overnight. Seven, take time to evaluate, prioritize, diligently study, pray, and consider how to address your child's specific needs. Every child's different. You know what? You do one thing from one child and you have to do one thing. It has nothing to do with fairness. It's that every child has different issues, different problems, different weaknesses, different strengths. And so you, you study, you examine, and you deal with each child according to them. You custom parent for each child. Don't have, there's no mold. You know, one child, you just look at sternly and they break down and cry and humble repents. The other one, you know, they need the rod frequently. And you think, well, you know, why is that? It's the way they are. You do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to bring them in conformity to the word of God, to bring their souls in submission to God. Not you, God. And make sure they know that. So we've gone over. And that's what happens on communion Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this text. And father, I know that the parents in this congregation do love their children. They want to do what's best. And yet father parenting is a hard task. So often the things of the world will entice us to try and lead us away from that great priority of training our children to love you. So, Father, I pray for each parent here that they would first, if they haven't already, give their life to you. And, Father, if they have, I pray that they would learn to remember constantly that you are Lord, you are God, and that you have a say in how we parent. I also pray that every parent here would be diligent to study and know your word so that they might train their children when they rise up and when they lie down, when they're inside the house, when they're out. When they're in the city, when they're out, may everything they say and everything they do and all their thoughts be held captive by your word so that you can receive all the glory and honor and praise. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.